This is The Universe, Episode 10, Low Chance of Mutiny, on Sunday, May 27th, 2012. And now, just standing there like an American. Hey, how's it going? Hey there, pretty good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Long night yesterday. Recorded a yeah. good show. I, I heard. And I hear you're going out in a little while to play uh, D&D. Indeed. Going out with uh, the person, one of the people that was on your show last night, I think. Well, that's pretty good. That'll be, a, that'll be a good show, or a, a good game. Yes, indeed. Should be fun. Uh, so I, I heard you had a guest on the show last night. Yes. Who I think I, we will mention later in the show. I have something specifically to say to him. Okay, well, we did have a guest yesterday, actually. Uh, we had Ian Buck, the only commenter that we know of. So Yes, yeah, on so, any of our shows. Right, ever. yes. So th- that was uh, pretty good to have him on the show. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to listening to it once it is posted. Yeah, it'll it'll be posted in a little while. I just gotta edit it. It was it was kind of long, so that's why it's taken a while. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, any plans for the show or the network for the summer that might be news? Um, like in, I think we talked a little bit about it last time. I don't know. We we are thinking of doing some studio renovations, but not too sure what we're doing yet. Yeah. And of course, we're working on the website. We we do have a new black bar. That's pretty fancy. Mm-hmm. And, all, oh. and, and also, site related news: there was some insane downtime last Wednesday that <laughs> one and one just decided to throw at me. And it's like, are you serious? So yeah. PHP five point four point three came out a little while ago, and one and one decided to just you know upgrade everyone to that without telling them at one thirty in the morning. So I had to <laughs> unupgrade to uh get that fixed yeah that was weird yeah um and let's see as far as the new things at the network i think uh the other night when we were hanging out i mentioned to matt that i have a camera so his ideas for some video podcasts may come to fruition at some point that's good um although turns out i'm gonna be gone going to be gone for quite a bit of the summer. Yeah, uh, and where where are you going this time? Well, I'm going quite a few places. I mm. fly to I'm flying to Hong Kong on June 16th. Yeah, that sounds good. And then from there I am traveling around China a little bit with my parents and then they're flying back home and I am still traveling around China possibly by myself or with a, a friend that I met um at the U and uh, then I'm flying to Japan spending like a week there, then flying to Seattle, spending probably about a week there, and then taking the train back here. So I might not get back till like the end of July. That sounds pretty good, though. Yeah. Sadly, there probably won't be many <laughs> uh, podcasts during that period. I imagine not, but I'm sure I- you'll have plenty of interesting things to uh, talk about after. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I'm hopefully I will uh, do a little travel blogging while i'm travel blogging uh, well see there you go that's that's what you're supposed to do speaking of which my blog got updated for the first time in months do you know the yes. likelihood of that happening is like one in like 600 well it was an important day was it so. what was the importance indeed it was intergalactic towel day intergalactic uh, yes well of course an intergalactic event okay um, so for those of you who don't know uh what that is um Douglas Adams, the author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, 
uh, he passed away on, well, it was like May 11th, um, like 2002 or something, 2007, I can't remember what year. Um, and so a couple of weeks later, all of his fans decided to have intergalactic towel time or towel day, towel time, uh, to sort of in memoriam of Douglas Adams. And so on May 25th, it is the day to bring your towel with you. That That's very important that you always be armed with your towel. Indeed. And if you would like to know why or read a good quote from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you can go look at my blog. Yep, and there will be a link to your blog in that post in the show notes. In addition to me always saying it at the end of every episode, even though there's nothing there. For... Yeah, well, of course. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do anyway. Right. So speaking of things that are occurring now or recently occurred or are going to occur, uh, we have a couple of time-sensitive topics that I Well, we should cover those first. Yes. So the first one is the... Uh, there's a contest being held uh, by both NASA and the U.S. Geological Survey, um, like in a joint thing, uh, called the Landsat Project. Okay. Uh, well, it's the con. The contest isn't the Landsat Project. The Landsat Project is a project, and the contest is something that that project is doing. And so, what Landsat is is the it's the first. It was the first sort of satellite program to monitor the Earth's surface. And so originally satellites were sent up, weather balloons, stuff like that, to monitor like atmospheric changes, things like that. And then this program sent up the first Earth tracking satellite, essentially. Um, and so the contest is being held to determine a couple winners to give away or to award with um, 40 years of images of whatever area they live in. And so they're holding the contest based, or they're deciding the winners based on who uh, writes the most compelling uh, sort of the story or reason why they are interested in sort of the geological past of their area over the past 40 years. So mm-hmm. be it urban sprawl, um, a natural disaster, something like that. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, although I would like to just sort of see all that all those images and stuff like that, they would make it public domain, which they really should. They really should, since, you know, it's the government that's doing it, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't get everything. But that, that isn't really, uh, I don't, I don't think too many people would be interested in this kind of contest. I mean, most people wouldn't think about that. Um, but it would be nice to have that if you, uh, lived in an area with lots of change. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it would be really interesting to see, like, some of the, get, like, that aerial view of some of the changes, like, around the Yellowstone supervolcano and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, right. I think it's really cool. Have you ever seen, um, I'm sure you've gone along um, Midway, like along University. Have you ever seen University pictures from like 50 years ago? It is pretty interesting. And everything looks... Uh, I have. Yeah, I have seen Everything looks so old and yet so Instagram. Yeah, very Instagram. <laughs> um, so let's see. The next piece of uh, time-sensitive information really isn't that time-sensitive. Um it's more just a, a thing that just started. There's no, like, limit, really, but it gets old after a while. Um, so io9, once in a while, whole, uh, does a concept art writing prompt, and so they take a piece of concept art, and one one of the authors, one of the journalists, whatever, on the site writes a, their short story, generally science fiction, um, like, 
inspired from that piece of concept art. Uh, and this time they took a picture which I've seen before actually multiple times. Um, I mean, you know that picture remind it reminds me a lot of um, you know concept concept art from like Guild Wars even. I'm, right. I, and what I think of that when I see it is like a city of gears. Yeah. Well, that that's what it's called, the city made of gears. Oh crap! Right. That's what they called it. Well, how ironic! I didn't even read the words. I was just staring at the picture. <laughs> Right. Well, they also said the Clockwork City, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, at least we're all on the same page. So I'm sort of inspired to write a story because I, I thought of a good idea. And then you I know what you should do with it when you write it, right? Uh, no. You should put it on your blog. Oh, yeah. I probably should. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, that's a cool thing. If anybody is listening that's interested in science fiction writing, short stories, whatever, you can read the story that the... I think Lauren Davis writes these usually. Yeah, she put up a little story. Mm-hmm. And often there are other stories in the comments. I think it's where people post their ideas. Um, so, yeah. Sounds good. So, yep. also, I believe it was Sunday, right? I think it was Sunday. Uh, the so- kind of solar eclipse, the annular solar eclipse was going on. And, of course, here in Minnesota, we could actually see the ring of fire, but... You could see part of the sun being, I don't know, chunked out. Uh, but it was pretty cool anyway. Right. Yep. So I walked up to to my local tall hill and stood on top of that and stared at the sun. Yep. The best idea. Stare at the sun. Yep. I, I did have, um, I don't know what number the glasses are, but I did have some type of really dark glasses with me, though. So I, I didn't I go behind. my naked eyes. Well, yeah, you know, you're, you're young. Uh... So, oh, real quick, before I forget, I was going to say something about that concept art. The, there's solid, in the picture, there's, like, solid bridges connecting these gears that are supposedly spinning. So that's kind of ridiculous. Um, but anyways, so, the yeah, the sun thing. I actually sort of forgot about that while it was happening and realized that it happened, like, an hour after it was over. Or 30 minutes after it was over. Yeah, and, and, and it... And at some point, though, it it kind of got too hard to see because um, from where I was, I was looking at it, you know, like on a hill. But then there were trees, and then if you were looking at at a part of the, like if you were somewhere high, it would have eventually gone, you know, below the horizon anyway. So you probably right. wouldn't have been able to see it if it was too late anyway. In some places, you could even see the sun setting with a part missing, so that would be, would have been cool too. Yeah, definitely. There's some pretty sweet pictures and videos. Yeah. And videos, yeah, would be would have been sweet to see like the full annular eclipse down like in California. I think they could see it. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, more recent breaking ish news: um, SpaceX, which we mentioned in last week's episode, having had a faulty launch and delayed their launch for a few days, um, had a successful takeoff uh, on what day was this? Uh, with like the nineteenth. I think the morning of the 19th. Um, I think it was morning of the 19th. Uh, yeah. And after that, I think the 22nd? No, 25th. 25th is today. Yeah. We yesterday. So yes, it did dock yesterday. Yes, yesterday it, it docked. Yes. So that is impressive. So what, is you, imp- what you have to understand what that means is that Technology made by a government, well, kind of a bunch of governments, was able to dock with technology that had nothing to do with it, kind of. What? Well, I mean, if you think about it, it docked with the space station. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, the commercial technology was able to actually work with some government technology. That's a miracle. 
Yeah, that is pretty impressive when you put it that way. I mean, uh, so I actually did some was failed in my task of researching this because apparently well, there's this, not much to research. Well, the the cap they hadn't actually opened the dragon capsule yet. Yeah. Uh, at that point, this morning they did, and I would would be curious to see what how that went, what what the cargo was. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's a huge deal. The this is the first like big step in commercial aerospace that industry. Mm-hmm. This is the first part of that industry that's ever been like important. So um, one, Elon Musk, the uh, CEO of SpaceX has said, I don't have enough words to express the excitement and the elation that we feel here at SpaceX. It's just a fantastic day for the country and the world. This is going to be recognized as a significant historical step forward in space travel and hopefully the first of many to come. Yeah. So, that's pretty good. First step. Uh, very good. I'm... That makes me... And happy. of course, there's all sorts of videos and pictures of the station docking right. there's with, a, uh, with the capsule. A, a, is that what they call it? The capsule? Yeah, it's the okay. Dragon 9 capsule. Okay. Um, so there's a there's a picture stream thing in the show notes. Okay. Uh, speaking of Elon Musk, uh, there's an, some interesting thoughts on him owning both SpaceX and Tesla, or founding both of them. I don't know if he like, owns both of them still. Um, and some of the cross-pollination that goes on between those two companies. Uh, so he, there in an interview, he mentioned that both uh, SpaceX draws from the experience of the people at Tesla Motors, and Tesla Motors draws from some of the technological advancements at SpaceX, things like that. Um, one of the cool examples was the, um, the fully aluminum chassis on the Tesla Model S, which is a direct result of the SpaceX research into like ultralight materials for the spacecraft, hmm. um, which is pretty cool. It's the only, it's the only all aluminum car made in North America, apparently. Um, and on, like on the flip side of that relationship, uh, SpaceX benefits from Tesla's research into battery, being that it's an all electric car. Obviously, they do a lot of that. So that's a that's an important thing that I think more industries should take advantage of. Um, I, I mean, like, I know there's not a lot of people that own two important, awesome, big companies no, like that. Not usually, no. Um, but even, even like, I don't know, Google should do some collaboration with Apple. <laughs> Just well, kidding. That's I, I, not- I, you know what I think would be more likely than that? I think uh, Zuckerberg might become uh, an Elon Musk type in the future. You know, if Zuck, if, you know, um, if if Facebook doesn't carry through, you know, maybe uh, Zuckerberg will go out and do something kind of like that. You know, I mean, he's young enough now to still have dreams and aspirations for the future. So also rich as hell. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, so, look, I got some stock. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So more people should do that. Anyways, um, turns out that NASA has an app. I didn't know that. Um, apparently. I heard about this because they released a new version of their app for the iPhone, um, which is cool, I guess, if you have an iPhone and you're lame. Well, but, uh, uh, incidentally, they also have a bunch of Android. They they do have a Android app. Right, right. So so uh, they hadn't updated their iPhone app since like 2009 or something. 
and it didn't have a lot of the features that the iPhone or that the Android app had. And so now they updated it with some of those and gave it some platform like iOS platform specific right uh, features. Not that they're like super important or anything really, but I think it's lame that they're doing that. They should just make them the same or give Android more like they were. <laughs> but then again, I don't really like iPhones. So uh, I am going to download that app, if I remember, after the show and check it out. Maybe I'll give it a little review or something on our next show. Well, that sounds good. Um, and, of course, there will be a link to the sh- in the show notes to the app. Right. Uh, so that's, that's pretty cool, something I didn't know about NASA. Um, let's see. More things from NASA. They There is a, a cool um, gallery from space.com, a space photos gallery from like late April or something. Uh, and one of the pictures is a very cool picture of a meteor tail during the Lyrid meteor shower, which we bloody missed. Yes. As I wrote in the comments. Um, Rain. It was disappointing because that picture looked awesome. It would have been sweet to see that. Uh, but there's a good, there's a good sort of stream, picture stream to browse if you are interested in that sort of thing. Um, see, some other short things to mention. Uh, there is, there was a park in, sorry, not a park, a, like, safari reserve, nature reserve type thing in, uh, Africa, the Namibrand Nature Reserve, apparently in, Southern Namibia um, has been named an official night sky reserve. That's so cool. I think that's a pretty cool thing. I didn't know that that was like a real thing. Apparently there's an association that goes around and certifies places to be official night sky reserves. And well, I think that's pretty important. Yeah, well, definitely. And I think that the U.S. should do the same thing like we do with national parks and stuff and then not let people pollute light in those areas. Because I hate light pollution. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, they could easily do that with some state parks that are pretty large, but they'd still have to be rel- relatively far away from major cities. Right. Well, I mean, like, and weather and stuff isn't great. I, I feel like that's probably right. uh, a good... Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's probably easier. easier to do in Africa than in the U.S. Because, you know, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of cities just, you know, floating around in Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, but I think, I think it'd be kind of cool if they... Well, because, I don't know, you, you name a state park or a national park in the states and then nobody can, like, build anything there or whatever and the only structures are grandfathered in, stuff like that. Um, and I think that would be a, a cool thing to do in the U.S., like, just... Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. an area where people couldn't, like, build, like, anything that would increase the the ambient light levels. So you're saying you don't want to have anything increase your lumens per lumen. Indeed. Right. No more lumens. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So we, as a nation, apparently, um, the U.S. has uh, or is thinking about using um, satellites as a more sort of like involved more involved than you right now so like right now they use satellites to like guide missiles and get images aerial images of like enemy hideouts whatever stuff like that um apparently there is some discussion of using them to provide uh like close-up 
on-demand images to soldiers in the battlefield, um, which would assist in certain terrain and certain situations and stuff like that. And this, is, this program is brought to you by DARPA, the creators of the internet. DARPA. DARPA. The creators of the internet? Creators Pretty much. Internet. I mean, kind of. I mean, they made kind of, you know, the internet. They wanted to have a not- distributed network that couldn't be blown to smithereens by a nuke. Yeah, but that's not where the first internet came from. No, but they made the internet. Okay, we can discuss that at another date. Um, but I think this is the beginning of Skynet. Um, for those of you who know what that is, which I hope is most of the people listening. I'm listen. pretty sure most people know what Skynet is. Okay. Um, let's see, some more interesting programs. Uh, apparently, there is a 100 year starship program. Uh, in, well, the program, uh, some foundation uh, is uh, just got some money from DARPA to. Uh, I don't. I don't really know. I was hoping that you could give me your thoughts on this, Ryan. Actually, because I, I have no clue what like the point of this is. It's called the 100 Year Starship Project, and they're. I, I don't really understand what they're trying to do. They're not trying to like build a starship or anything. So what it probably what it probably is is can you take five hundred thousand dollars and somehow go away somewhere and live somehow for a hundred years without messing with anyone else? Good luck with that. You think that's what it is? I think that's essentially what it is. Well, because like this, the maybe if I read the project page, it would help. Yeah. Well, so. They this I think this grant is just like some money. I don't know that necessarily has anything to do with their their mission. But so they're not they're not like training astronauts. They're not building spaceships or anything. It seems like so I I read one. I don't know if this is part of their mission statement or something like that. That they want to uh, be a uh, sort of a cross between uh, a think tank. And Bell Labs. So for those of you who don't know, we've talked about this on the show before. Bell Labs, one of the most important sort of technological scientific incubators in the history of ever, um, especially like for modern technology. Uh, and I don't know. I don't really. So, so I'm reading. Understand. I'm reading the mission. I'm reading the the actual website um, from them. The, the actual 100 year Starship website. And it is not at all clear what the goal is at all in any way. Right. This is just yeah, a so bunch of words. I, I so I well so I read that claim mm. that they crossed between Bell Labs and a think tank, and I was like, I don't. That doesn't. How are you going to do that? Like that Bell Labs was not something that you can just make because we would then have a lot of them, and we would be discovering things all the time. Bell Labs. Well, was I mean, like, what Bell Labs? What, what the idea of Bell Labs is that you just have a bunch of smart people and then you just throw money at them and then they just make stuff. But that's not well, that's not what Bell that's not what made Bell Labs what it is in history. Like its significance didn't come from people smart people getting money. You don't think it so? It was no, it was a combination of the right time in history where scientific discovery was important. It was on the mind of the government, it was on the mind of the people. There were a lot of new engineers and scientists. There was a lot of uh, New territory being explored in the sciences in general. Um, there happen there happen to be a large number of extremely smart people all in these areas that Bell Labs was interested in. So they had a large pool of bright minds to choose from. 
and there was a lot of support from industry to support this. Obviously, it was Bell Labs, so like Bell was like part of AT and T or something. Uh, and it there's there's like I think there's a book about this about how Bell Labs wasn't just smart people getting a lot of money. It was the I mean, it, it, of course, it's not just smart people getting a lot of money. But I feel like because they could, because AT and T had a monopoly at the time, they didn't have to. Those scientists and the, those people working on interesting things, they didn't have to worry about proving that it would be viable in the long term or that, that any of it actually mattered because it was all just R and D. And that right, and so that specific element, not having to prove that it's viable in the long term, in this case is like the opposite because they are trying to prove that things are viable in the long term. Right. They're looking for I agree. technologies that allow them to survive 100 years in a spacecraft. And so that's not what Bell Edge was about. And so, I don't know, it pissed me off. But there is a really good <laughs> book. Um, let's see. I will put it in the show notes. So look, if you're interested in re- reading more about Bell Labs, I'll put a link to an excellent book in the show notes. Sounds good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, rent. What's um, next? Oh, by the way, jetpacks. Yes. Uh, well, next we could talk about uh, planetary resources. Oh, them again. So I think it must have been two episodes ago, episode before last maybe, we talked about planetary resources, the launch of a new company backed by lots of important billionaires whose goal was to mine asteroids, essentially. Um, this is like Richard Branson, Eric Schmidt, guys from Google. Uh, yeah, um, big big money behind this, and they they like announced the plan for the company. Must have been a month ago, right now, I think. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, April twenty fourth. Yep. Yeah, and since then they have got they have received over two thousand applications for jobs building asteroid mining robots. And I think that's amazing. Because right now that, we can barely make robots do anything. Well, that's not really true. We're pretty good with robots. I mean, like, not as good as we should be. Well, not, need not, to be yeah, not like this. Right, exactly. So we're, we're going to get there with it now. Yeah. So the, but the, like, the number of applicants in a month that are interested in building asteroid mining robots and who probably are all like super qualified I'm sure if they are even trying to apply for that tech job is ridiculous ridiculous right um, so is that going to be one of your future application uh, places are you going to apply well I mean I'd be sweet to work there I could be a future job opportunity yeah that could be good mm-hmm. but it's it's encouraging to see that many people interested for that specific, I mean, just for that one specific company, with which is an awesome company, and their like mission is pretty awesome. Uh, if you want to hear more about that company, listen to uh, uh, the episode from probably like April twenty fifth or something. So um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure which episode yeah, that was. I think it was by accident in the yeah, name of science. I think that is the right one. Yeah, I think that's episode eight. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. Okay. So, yeah. Encouraging news in the space frontier business. Um, let's see. More encouraging news in the space frontier business. Uh, excuse me. Um, 
sort of, or not necessarily encouraging news, but uh, news from space exploration, new developments and stuff, uh, is the use of telerobotics, which is long-range control of robots, essentially. So I'm sort of like, I don't know, uh, this, this article on from space.com making a big deal about using telerobotics to do a lot of stuff like in space and a lot of the things that they name is like well don't we already use telerobotics to do that like all the rovers that we've sent to mars and right. all of the yeah. Yeah. data gathered from like solar system bearing satellites stuff like that voyager and viking and all that stuff is all telerobotics Telerobotics, yeah. Um, and so it, it's weird that this guy is making a big deal about it. Um, although apparently there was a, a exploration telerobotics symposium uh, at the Goddard Space Flight Center in the beginning of May. Uh, so I suppose that could have spurred this. But I do think that, that since there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, support really or lately, there's been a lot of programs cut, stuff like that, for like human space exploration. Um, plans have been shot down, whatever, money cut, things like that. So telerobotics definitely seems to be, at least in the near future, the right path to take. Um, so it's encouraging to see a meeting of the minds, I suppose, on, on that. Um, in fact, we were just discussing this before the show, that I had read a really good article about how an article which I couldn't find um, <laughs> maybe it'll show up in the show notes uh, about the change in current uh, sort of the valuation placed on human life in the field of space exploration. So during the space race, the Apollo age, it was an accepted fact that there was risk of death involved for any astronaut or anything, pilot, stuff like that. Um, and it seems like now there's a much bigger uh, emphasis placed on keeping the astronaut pilot safe at all costs. I have and, noticed that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's not really, I mean, it's, it's understandable that there's a, a, I mean, obviously there's a value to a human life. Um, the, the military government's place, they have numbers for how much a human life is worth. Um, and which is sort of scary, but makes sense. I mean, you're not going to spend a billion dollars to save one person that fell down a hole when you could spend that billion dollars on like food to feed like a bunch of people or something like right. that. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously, uh, that makes sense, but in like throughout the history of exploration, explorers themselves especially have been aware of and accepted the fact that there's a possibility that in their pursuit of uh, uncovering new places and discovering new things that they could die. Well, I think one and, of the problems is that most people in the public don't consider don't consider space exploration as exploring. But it it is. I know I it is. That's if you went up to somebody and asked, "Is space exploration exploring?" They would say yes. Yeah, I but mean, then, like, but then if you ask them, so is it like literally like Lewis and Clark looking through the rest of the United States? They would say, "Who's Lewis and Clark first? And then they would say, "It's not even close to being the same." Wait, say that again. So you know Lewis and Clark, right? You know how they explored 
to the, yeah. the the western part of the United States. They found the Californian coast, essentially. Well, I mean, if you ask a regular person, is space exploration, if somebody going up into space and exploring the same as that, and they would probably say no. It's not the same, but it's still exploration. I but mean, they, I wouldn't they wouldn't say, say, I don't think most people would say that it's quite the same type of exploration. Well, I wouldn't say it is either. I mean, exploring already human populated areas on our own planet is not. The well, same they didn't. They didn't know what the populations were like. And and if you and if you but ask a normal person, they're not populated, say. and it was on our own planet. I mean, so there is. There probably was a time, a period in history, like the like Columbus crossing okay. the ocean to a new. That would be. I would say that's extremely comparable to. Uh, say venturing to Mars or something, right? And there's still most people still wouldn't say that's even close to being the same. Well, I I don't know. We should we should like start a poll or something because I think they would. I mean, if if you if you're Christopher Columbus, you you don't know that there's land ahead of you. You don't know who's there. You don't know what. I mean, sort of because he's like actually looking for India, but right doesn't know that America's there. Yeah, and and. He, there's storms, there's all kinds of dangers in the open ocean, and today, there are far fewer dangers. You're not going to get hit by a like a hurricane in space. There are solar storms, there's radiation risks and stuff like that, but right. far less than there were then. Exactly. There's not diseases, there's not things like that, there's very low chance of like, mutiny from your crew. <laughs> um, Pretty low, yeah. Right. Um, and Although, on that note, I did read recently about China... Um, like sort of uh, evaluating their Tycho knots on compatibility in a crew, which I know is weird. Um, but anyways, so back to my comparison. And so today, I mean, we know where Mars is. We know that it's there. We know how far away it is. We know how to get there. And the, that minimal risk to like get humans there, I don't think is comparable to... I mean, the, the voyage and the sense of exploration, crossing vast distances to get to new lands, is similar to... That's definitely comparable to, like, Columbus's journey, but the difficulty and danger associated with it I don't think is comparable because it's far less. And so that seems like it's... By trying to make that comparison and failing and realizing that there's less danger now, then it would seem even stupider that we haven't done that and that we are placing that tremendous value on the life of people who accept that risk. I mean, like, right. as, absolutely. the astronauts, where this, they knew the risk, and they accepted that, and they were willing to uh, take that risk in the name of exploration, in the name of science. Right. And so, I, I'm... The astronauts today are the same way. It's not that the astronauts don't want to go. It's that NASA slash the government slash PR people, I, I think it's PR, but I'll explain that in a second, are saying you can't because you might die. And that, I think, probably is a result of, like, the Challenger and Columbia disaster. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I, that's, that's stupid. I think it's stupid. I would for sure go on a spaceship and possibly die to try and get to Mars. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that would be a, a, a pretty fair exchange. Yeah, so, anyways... There's another one of my rants. Um, Ranting is good. Speaking of getting to Mars, NASA recently, uh, I, we've mentioned this before, canceled their uh, participation in the ESA, the European Space Agency's uh, ExoMars thing project program, um, which was sort of a suite of uh, 
rovers and stuff to send to Mars and collect more data and probably eventually send humans to Mars. And the U.S. had to pull out because of lack of funding. NASA had to pull out because of lack of funding from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, and so in response to this, I hadn't heard about this, but apparently NASA asked the scientific community uh, for ideas on or, and proposals on new strategies to get to Mars um, with robots primarily. Uh, and I guess they were expecting about 200 proposals and they received like twice that, 400. That's pretty good. So, which is amazing. More. So this is what I was looking for in the show notes when I meant, when I said uh, more uh, promising news in space exploration. And I mean, like that sort of response is uh, encouraging that there, there are that many ideas um, and that many people with ideas to right. get to Mars. And it's, I mean, they got that many proposals and they can't do any of them. I will be extremely pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would just be ridiculous. But, I don't know. So we are, I haven't seen anything else indicating like what any specifics on any of these uh, strategies or anything. Uh, I'm sure but, if they find, you know, good, interesting uh, proposals, they'll eventually share them or something. Right. So apparently the, the ideas that survived the first cut will be presented in a workshop in Houston in mid-June. So hopefully we can get a show in after that and maybe discuss a couple of them. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, and let's see, some more Mars news. I thought this was a pretty interesting article. So this is why we should go to Mars. Right. So uh, a recent, well, so everybody, uh, not everybody, people, had, a lot of people, people should have heard about uh, the discovery of organic molecules in Martian meteorites in from like collected from sites around the world, like rain of uh, meteors ranging the material ranging from like, I don't know, like 4 billion years old to present day almost um, was this period of time when they had left Martian surface. Right. And so they essentially embodied a huge swath of Martian history as far as what is on the planet. And there was a very recent meteorite that fell in 2011, um, which also contained organic molecules. And so some researchers analyzed all of these to see if these organic molecules were created by organisms, by some biological process. And their conclusion, which I would be curious to see how they reached it, um, is that they formed the organic molecules did not form from biological processes. They formed from volcanic processes, which I guess is the when it happens when carbon and hydrogen atoms get encased in cooling magma and then over time i guess organic compounds just begin to form maybe through like stray radiation energy stuff like that uh heat energy uh and so that would be i mean that origin of organic molecules would i would be interested to see if that is a, a possible origin for organic molecules on earth because Earth also had a very active volcanic past. Right. And so if those organic molecules were formed during that stage and then during the sort of ocean phase of Earth's history were released, um, 
into the ocean to sort of act as a catalyst for new life. That would be interesting. That's I don't know. I, I just ha- I haven't heard that theory of the origin of life on Earth yet. Well, and if you want to have a good time having fun, you should definitely read the comments on this post because a lot of people are very skeptical about these types of things. Some people are like, oh, here we are again, declaring absolutes, blah, blah, blah. The, the comments on this are just great. Yeah. Yeah, comments are always fun to read. Yes. And sometimes sad to yes, read. Yes, very sad. Yeah. So, let's see. Some galactic news. Some, yeah, extra galactic news from a different galaxy. Oh, that sounds good. Much from the galaxy. Um... There, uh, some recent, uh, pictures, whatever, light collected by different telescopes, um, was composited into this image of the Pinwheel Galaxy, um, which is one of the points of light in the Big Dipper, or anybody didn't know that, uh, shows, or the, I mean, it's a cool picture, the aggregation of different, uh, sections of the light spectrum, um, the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, and the most recent addition is from the Chandra X-ray Observatory, uh, which the X-ray light emitted from the galaxy is generally uh, a result of supernova explosion, gas heating to millions of degrees, stuff like that. Um, and there are... It's surprising... It was surprising to find that there are supernovas scattered throughout sort of all of the galaxy, not just near the more active arms or the older center or stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting because I probably should have paid more attention in my astrophysics class. But when I think about that without remembering things from school, I would think that older areas would have more supernova because young stars generally are just stars. Right. Supernova is a later evolution in that. Yeah. later phase in that evolution rather um, and so it's interesting to see that the supernova incidentally tra- this post points out in the comments that it's intergalactic towel day ah indeed yeah that's pretty funny well yesterday yeah it was so io9 is full of the people that would know that yes they are um yeah so anyways interesting picture interesting those stuff. pictures look great yeah. and that's where I get my album art from there's a thing called the Daily Galaxy. Interesting. I have to check that out. Um, okay. So, let's see. Back to human safety and space exploration. Let's talk about space madness. Well, what do you know about space madness? Well, I know that it's not really a real thing. But that's it's not good. Really, um, it's just sort of a real thing. No. Uh, so, in the early days of space exploration, the possibility of adverse psychological effects on humans from going into space uh, was sort of sensationalized by journalists and media and stuff, even though it was never a real risk. There's been no evidence indicating that there's such a thing as space madness. Excuse me. Um, Like cabin fever, um, where people go crazy after staying in a cabin. I don't know if that's real, but it's a sensationalized psychological effect of being isolated so it's kind of a combination between claustrophobia and like weightlessness disorientation and being isolated right and being in space 
which I think is the most interesting part because, right, so if you're stuck by yourself, you might go crazy. If you're stuck by yourself for like an extended period of time. Yeah. Or talking to yourself, all that crap. Like a guy on the moon. Or like a guy editing alone at night in a studio. Right. Or that. But <laughs> if you haven't watched the movie Moon, watch it. It's very good. Um, and so, but the, the space element of that cause for madness, I think is very interesting. Um, sort of the almost ancient idea that the heavens were, uh, like, humans were not meant to explore the heavens or whatever. Um, and so that, I don't know, I think that's a very, I don't know, interesting thing to think of have like as a cause for making people go mad in space is that they're in space where people aren't supposed to be and so like they're suffering some psychological effect from doing something so momentous yeah which i think, it's, I, I think it's, it's pretty 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 unlikely that this actually happens and of course we haven't gotten into space enough to know for sure right but i mean that so far there have been no adverse effects right observed in the the like original like military test pilot astronauts or like more recent civilian astronauts or anything like that. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of astronauts, speaking of astronauts, there's a, a good video of some astronaut I don't know who on the space station um, doing a little science experiment with cornstarch and speakers so oh that's cool probably most of you who have taken like high school science course or junior high science course probably or elementary school maybe have with in with physics have or chemistry maybe or probably physics uh have if seen you've ever stuff. gone to school and you ever had a good science teacher right so you take cornstarch and you put it in a speaker and you sweep frequencies on a speaker os- like changing between different oscillation frequencies and the cornstarch responds weirdly. It's, I mean, so cornstarch is a non-Newtonian fluid. Um, it's like sheer hardening, I think. Uh, sheer thickening, I guess is the term. Uh, so it doesn't behave like water, essentially, is what that means. Um, when it's, so cornstarch and water, as you probably all know, when you hit it, it gets stiff. Normally it's liquidy. Um, and so, in response to the contractions caused by the speaker in the cornstarch solution, uh, patterns arise, cool things happen, and doing this in space is pretty, I mean, it's a waste of time. But it's pretty cool. In a second, but it's pretty cool. It The, the cornstarch sort of like grow, looks like it's growing yeah. and it's trying to crawl out of the speaker and like globules, heads essentially form mm-hmm. on the end of these tendrils, which would normally in earth gravity be dragged down, so it would, it's not as per- pronounced and dramatic as it is in space right but really it's a waste of time i think there's no better waste of time than that well but like it's it definitely justifies all the complaints of people well you know he's waiting for his um little um he's waiting for his code to compile or he's waiting for something else to do you know it's it's not like you can be working all the time up there right well you should be um (laughs) no uh i don't know but it definitely makes you it makes me not question the fact that this space station is a ridiculous thing, um, which we have talked about in previous episodes. So right. I'll listen to those. Um, there's kind of a funny comment at the end uh, of the the crew talking about what would happen if the the 
a, the biological looking goo merged with the robo knot on board the space station into <laughs> the Terminator. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. They can see that. Mm-hmm. Um so let's see. So usually when you look up in the night sky, you see the moon and it looks like the brightest thing. But turns out the moon is not very reflective. Um Yeah. I really you want to do this one, Ryan? Well, I, I think I could. So usually, you you would assume that the moon is pretty pretty uh, pretty bright. I mean, on moon on days when the moon is actually full, you, know, you can see some light. You can actually see shadows. You can actually see pretty well outside. Mm-hmm. But it's never very bright. Um, I, I'm not sure how to say the word albedo. Albedo. It's the um, the name for the amount of light that a body reflects. And that and that's apparently just pretty tiny. Yeah. Well, so the the Earth and this, so, this article is Earth shine, which we've talked about before. Right. And so the Earth reflects only about thirty six percent of the light, or wait, point thirty six percent of the light that comes in, which is pretty small. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, for some odd reason, they don't give a number for the Moon. But anyway, um, the shiniest object is also a word I cannot actually say. Enclidius. Maybe Enceladus. Okay, you and your it's French. It's moon. Right. Okay. Uh, and that's apparently is a small yeah. moon of Saturn. Yeah, it's uh, it's been mentioned on the show before, I think, as one of the moons, uh, which is a possible life harboring. So body. it it is sending back ninety nine percent of the light that shines on it, which is quite incredible. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, and when you think about like black bodies and white bodies, that's it sounds like as close to a white body as you right. can get. Right, and I believe that is because it's covered with ice. Yeah. Um, Although I don't think I've seen it lately, so I'm not sure. Well, it's really far away, and it's really small. Right. So from here, not very bright, but I bet on Saturn, really bright. Oh, uh, because you know, well, I'm just always looking at the moon on Saturn. Well, I am. I don't know what you're doing. I, I'm just sleeping at night. Okay, well, anyways, speaking of bright things, before an atomic bomb goes off, there's a horizon flash, which is apparently very bright and green. I don't know if that's true, or if that's just in those safety videos that they made us watch. They made you watch safety videos? Well, it, so, like, in during the mad days, the Cold War, uh, there were safety videos for uh, what's okay. a nuclear attack. And we I watched thought you meant you... Schools. Yeah, okay. Um, so, speaking of nuclear things there is a a good photo stream on io9 of uh, photos of like old nuclear test sites um where they would put mannequins and stuff in these fake houses and then drop a nuclear bomb nearby and see what happened uh and i i can understand like to test the structural damage and stuff different radiuses from the bomb site but they're they're very eerie pictures like these old sort of burnt mannequins and and they're all like wreckage globs and you can you can see the burnt char on and then there's unburnt char Mm -hmm. yeah i guess that makes sense right and yeah that is kind of weird you can see buried cars buried buildings right well i think i think the mannequins are really i don't know that doesn't make not only are they really creepy but the fact that they're there is creepy because if you drop a bomb that close to a human they would be burned alive they would be like irradiated they would get thrown off their feet by uh, the shockwave uh and right. then these mannequins are like bolted to the ground 
and they're like made out of like plastics or wood or something. Well, so you know, the first time they did it, they probably did get blown away. You think so? Yeah, and then then they figured, well, we don't want our test subjects to get blown away, so we're going to make them stand here. I suppose, but then, like, I mean, you know, like an American, like there's a real point because <laughs> the, that doesn't reflect. Did you say like an American? Oh <laughs> yes, I did. Oh wow. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it doesn't seem like it's, it seems pointless because it's not like realistic. It doesn't reflect what would actually happen. It just seems like a, a weird way to make it seem like you're dropping a bomb on real people. I don't know. Right. Right. Weird. But the top picture is the creepiest. I, I know. Think. Just the guy just standing there. No, 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 no. no. The, like oh, the, the top more top. Yeah. Okay. Where the guy is like falling out of his chair and yeah. there's like. His arm is on the ground uh-huh. underneath him, which is very creepy. And they're all in black and white, which makes it even creepier. Well, of course, um, you know, it's ancient. And, whoa, I wonder what happened to the guy in the last photo. He just got, like, melted. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, anyways, uh, that. Oh, and of course, the, somebody in one of the comments said, obviously none of them thought to get in a freezer. Uh, obviously right. alluding to the Indiana Jones nuclear bomb thing. Right. Um, so... More pictures. Uh, so I don't know if any of you remember the Opportunity rover. That's his Opportunity rover, which has been on Mars for many years. What's well, got to be like five years now or something? Um, which is much longer than its original 90-day mission. Uh, and there's a there's a cool photo that it took of the Martian landscape. Um, well, that is pretty cool. The, the corner of the rover body, which I think is really, I mean, the photo is amazing. It's pretty uh, it's high resolution, too. Yeah. Um, there's a more high-res version, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, so the photo is of the Endeavor crater uh, on Mars. But it's, I don't know, it's just very weird to see. I mean, I don't know, I remember when I was in grade school and they were, like, launching these rovers in middle and you, school. And you got to see the 3D pictures? So, Did you do that? Yeah. 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 And and so the you look in the bottom corner of this picture and you can see the edge of the rover. Mm-hmm. It's all covered in Martian dust and fine red particulate sand and stuff. And I, I like I read the first. I've seen this comic before, actually. Yeah, I saw the comic too. It was on XBCD. And the first comment on the story is uh, I don't know makes you think made me think. Well, it also is kind of like. Um... That um, I don't know if it, Pixar, Wall-E. yeah, Wally. I, I don't know if that's DreamWorks or Pixar. It's one of them. Pixar could be, but yeah, yeah. So, anyways, if you want to be, I don't know, semi-emotional, I thought it was kind of emotional for a robot stuck on Mars. I'll bite so. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, those things, I swear there's a. No, I'll put it in the show notes later. There's a. Well, actually, I probably won't. There was some pictures of like the. I don't know, like a, a Viking or a Voyager, some some other Mars craft that landed there that were like out of commission now, sitting in a, a crater. That's cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else. So, uh, today after I woke up, I had some breakfast and I came upstairs and I found this video of a bunch of cartoon voice actors reading the Star Wars trilogy script. Um. So these are voice actors from a lot of shows that I watched when I was a kid. Some of them I still watch, Futurama. Um, so 
a uh, lot of uh, funny moments uh, like Bubbles from Powerpuff Girls, Bender Fry, the Professor Zoidberg, all from Futurama, Kiff, Zap Brannigan from Futurama, and then uh, some like My Little Pony characters, I think, uh, some celebrity impressions like Christopher Walken and uh, William Shatner, uh, George Takei. Some or other, is that Takai? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and some other some other really good ones. So it's very enjoyable to watch. And I think Ian, this is what I was going to mention, Ian. Ian would enjoy that. So I listened Ian to a few minutes of it, and it was like, pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, but it is more impactful, of course, if you have seen Star Wars and all of those other shows with those voices. Right, which I've seen most of. So Right. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, so... Also, while browsing things to watch, I found uh, some music from the Song of Ice and Fire series by George R. R. Martin. Hopefully, most of you listening know about it. If not, go buy the books, watch the TV show, whatever. And struggle to um, read them. The books are really good. Don't listen to Ryan. It's not that they're not good. It's just they're hard the to books read. Aren't that hard to read? Don't listen to Ryan. <laughs> they're hard to read. They have words in them with twenty names per page. Oh, okay. Well, anyways, the books are amazing. Amazingly well written, amazing story. Apparently, the TV show is really good as well. I've not seen it, so I w- don't know. But um, the the new song from the soundtrack for the TV show uh, called "The Reigns of Castamir" was recorded by the National and some indie band, and it sounds really good. So if you are a fan, or if you're not a fan, and you just want to hear this song, which is really good, look in the show notes. It will be there. Uh, in addition to two versions of The Bear and the Maiden Fair, which is also from that series. One of them is like a folky, like, upbeat version, and another one's like a Irish punk rock version, which is weird for the other one, but anyways, it's in there. So, some uh, high uh, fantasy And the, uh, the, the uh, Lannister one, that was a pretty good one. I like that one. Yeah, yeah the Lannister one is very good. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Uh, I also, this week, well, browsing io9, <laughs> found uh, something which excites me very much, which is the official synopsis for the new Guillermo del Toro movie. But for those of you who don't know, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro is the person who directed Pan's Labyrinth, which is one of my favorite movies, like, pretty much ever. It's really good. And apparently he's directing a movie called Pacific Rim, which comes out in the summer of 2013, um, which is about, it sounds like, Transformers, but crossed with Clash of the Titans, I think, is how it's described in here. And that's pretty much what it sounds like. It sounds amazing. And Guillermo del Toro is directing, so it's going to be good. And also, I don't know, it just sounds really good. Check it out. I just thought, so I read the description of the movie, and I just thought, like, wow, that sounds like every anime I've ever seen with giant anime robots. Indeed. Yeah. I also, saw, I also thought that. <laughs> oh, well, okay then. Um, yeah. Oh, so... Uh, speaking of little videos and stuff, last week after the show, I don't think this made it on the show. Last week after the show, Ryan and I watched this excellent video on Vimeo um, by Toniko Pantoja. I don't know how to say his name. Um, but I'm going to post a link to his profile on the show notes. And the the Cran Dragon short film and the Serenade to Miete, I think is how you say it. I'm not sure how you say it. Um, 
something are both like very good. I mean, Ryan and I watched both of them. They're very good. The link to the previous video is actually in last week's show notes at the end. I put oh. it. I put it there as an Easter egg for anybody who actually visits the website. You already got that link. I'm very fast with my link copying skills. So yeah, uh, let's see. One more video of a Tim Burton cake because I love Tim Burton and I love cake. <laughs> So it is in the show notes. <laughs> and I think that's it. Yeah, that was good. So um, what are your plans for the upcoming week? Anything good? Uh, Anything exciting? Well, hopefully, if, if Matt ever contacts me, I will go play d d with him at some point. Well, that um, sounds good. I, let's see. Oh, the, the playtest material for the next edition of D&D came out. So maybe this week I will gather some folks to test that, try that out. Um, hang out. Uh, there could be a grilling adventure in the future. That sounds good. The Nexus folk. Provided um, it isn't raining, like, every time. Right. Uh, besides that, no plans, really. Um, well, I mean, I don't know, doing some family stuff. My dad's birthday is tomorrow, so. That's good. That. But otherwise, doing nothing, reading, oh, reading the book that I. Oh, yeah, the book. Huh? Totally forgot about that book. Right. Well, so I, I didn't finish. I actually just started yesterday. Well, you, you, you did say two weeks. I mean, you, you, yeah. yeah, you're good. I thought it might be done, but I ended up reading a different book instead. And so then I just started the one that we're going to talk about yesterday. You're probably okay with that. That's probably not a bad choice. Yeah. So hopefully that we will do that review either on the show or like on a side show or some like Something. a extra segment, whatever, yep. um, next week. Mm-hmm. So where can we find you on the internet well, you can find me on my newly updated blog at yeah. com, And you just have to keep e- updating it, yeah. Hopefully I will do that. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter, Sam Eberts, or on, I think I have a Google Plus account or like a Facebook account. You can probably find me if you know who I am. Otherwise, yeah. I probably won't accept your friend request Yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, of course, you can find me, Ryan Rampersad, just about anywhere, especially on the Twitter, RyanMR, and, of course, at the Nexus, where we do this show, which is The Universe, and we talk about science news, technology news, kind of, a little bit, we talk about space, and we talk about rovers, and we talk about really good pictures, and maybe some videos of some fun stuff. And, of course, you can find this show at the Nexus approximately every Saturday and or Sunday, depending on editing times. I thought this was a great show, Sam. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Getting back into the groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, have a good one. <laughs>